do love you and praise you. And thank you, God, for the second chapter of Second Peter that is really a warning to us, God. And so I pray that you would allow our eyes and ears to be open and attentive to what your spirit would say to us today, God. We pray that your spirit is here with us, that um, you will give us just fresh vision for the word of God, Lord, and, and that you will minister to our hearts here, that your Holy Spirit will minister to us here today. We are here. We are are sitting at your feet, Jesus. Would you speak to us? We want to learn from you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, our last week, what a blessing it was last week, wasn't it? Uh, To learn of what good fruit looks like. Well, today... (laughs) Peter's going to tell us what the bad fruit looks like today. And, you know, as I was reading the first chapter of 2 Peter and then the second chapter, I thought, even in this, the presentation of the word of God, there is order. Because we can't possibly know what is fake until we know what is real, right? We can't possibly know what is Uh, bad until we have seen what is good. And so even in the order here of the chapters, first, Peter presents to us last week what is good, the healthy, solid fruit of a good, solid uh, Christian who is sitting in that good, solid soil of the teaching of the Word of God. Well, this week now, he presents the opposite. What we are to look for now that we know what is good Uh, we need to know what is bad so that we can stay away from it. So he presents a warning today. So I was thinking about that it is difficult sometimes, isn't it, to tell what is real and fake Uh, for trees or plants, for instance. You know, magnolia, uh, the line magnolia uh, with, you know, the Gaines, Chip and Jojo Gaines, so Joanna Gaines anyways, um, they have... A, a line of fake plants that look so real. In fact, most of what they show on their show is fake. It's not even real. How many of did you, did you know that? It looks real, doesn't it? It looks like I always, you know, marvel. Wow, she's just so good at arranging these flowers, and some is real, but a lot of it is fake. They have a really great line of fake plants, but. Um, I like when fake plants look real, but I must say that nothing tops the real deal, right? Nothing tops a real plant for me. I love to have a real plant in my house. Um, There's so much more to a real plant, though, isn't there, than just looks. I mean, it looks great if you can keep it looking great, Uh, but there are so many more benefits to having a real plant. For instance, real plants give off oxygen in your home. They have been clinically proven to reduce stress, fight colds, uh, remove contaminants, and even stop headaches. Did you know that? Everyone's going to go out and rush for real plants today, right? Uh, Not to mention the satisfaction, of course, of keeping something alive and healthy and beautiful. Um, I love real plants myself, um, and I think I'm pretty good about keeping them real, alive, and beautiful. But I didn't know these extra health benefits. I knew about the oxygen, but I didn't know about the other things. So I think I'm going to go get some more real plants. (laughs) It gave me this itch. I'm like, I need to put more in my bedroom because there's more oxygen, and then I'll probably sleep better and then reduce headaches and colds. Uh, It didn't say anything about the flu, but hey, in this season, let's get some real plants. Anyways, the benefits of real plants far outweigh that of fake, yet some people will still choose the fake over the real. Why? Because it's easier. It's easier. As I thought about this in light of today's chapter, I couldn't help but draw the comparison between chapter 1 and chapter 2, what is real and what is fake. In chapter 1, you recall, we looked at the fruit-filled life of a believer that is planted, as I said, in the right soil, at the right place, with the right food, 
and even the right amount of trials. This believer is strong and healthy and is producing beautiful fruit in and through their lives. They are diligent, we were told last week, to add to their faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. The fruit-filled believer is the real deal. But today, in chapter 2, Peter presents the opposite for us, that which is fake or false. We cannot know what is fake, as I said, until we know what is real, until we've handled what is real and true. You will never recognize a phony dollar bill or $100 bill unless you've handled the real ones. You will never be able to spot a false teacher unless you sit under a real one. A real teacher that teaches the whole counsel of God. This is what we do here at Calvary Chapel, and this is what makes it so unique. We teach through the whole Bible, and I understand not all of you attend this church, but this is what makes Calvary's and especially this Calvary, I will say, so unique, is that we teach through the whole council, everything, Genesis to Revelation, and then when we're done, we go back and start and do the whole thing. Line upon line, we read the word of God and teach the word of God. Now, here at San Juan, we are going through, soon, our last book of the Bible, My husband has taught this church faithfully through every book of the Bible. Amen? What a blessing. That is something to celebrate. I was telling uh, my husband the other day when he was talking about the last book of the Bible, I said, you know, we've been um, in the ministry for 20, over 25 years, and we planted two churches, and he took our other church through the whole Bible in 10 years, and our church through the whole Bible in 11 years. And we've never, um, you know, like had um, a celebration before, like, oh, we, this is our church. We've been here for five years or two years or one year or 10 years. And we've never celebrated that. We don't want to celebrate us. We want to celebrate the fact that we've made it through the whole Bible so that you can be ready for a celebration, ladies. That is something to celebrate. We are going to have a party because we have made it through the whole Bible. The whole thing. And I will tell you that not many pastors can say that they have taught through the whole Bible once, but now twice. Twice. And so uh, what a blessing. I'm just, I'm such a proud, can you tell me? Proud in a good way. I'm such a proud wife that uh, my husband is so diligent to do this. And you here are well-taught sheep. So anyways, all that to say that... um, We see the benefits, don't we, of sitting under what is true? Because we can see very easily now what is false when you sit daily under what is true. Well, fake plants may be easier and less time-consuming to take care of, but they are not real. And yet, as I said, people choose that because it is easier. People choose churches sometimes that are comfortable, that are not convicting, that maybe don't teach through the whole Bible because it is more comfortable. It is easier. Fake is not always best ladies, especially in the church. So in chapter 2, Peter seeks to clear the dust from that which is fake by exposing four specific tactics of the enemy today. First, he exposes that doctrine of the false teaching is always, number one, destructive. It's always destructive. In fact, let's look at verse 1. And we will read here, it says, But there were also false teachers among the people, even as there will be false teachers, not maybe, but there will be false teachers among you who will secretly 
bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction not does not slumber. Look at the words Peter uses to describe this sort of teaching. False, secret, denying, covetous, exploiting, deceptive. Wow. To be deceptive means... Giving an appearance or impression different from that which is true. It means misleading. Have you ever been misled before? Has anybody ever taken advantage of you? I think uh, many of us believers have because people who know that we are believers, let's say um, with a business transaction, will take advantage of us because they know that we won't sue them necessarily, um, that we are more patient and kind and we're called to be loving. So we often are taken advantage of. But when we're ignorant of the scriptures and the truth, then we are misled. Covetousness means greedy, showing a strong desire for material possessions often someone else's possessions. It means wanting more, more money, more power, more prestige. To exploit means to benefit from or take advantage of. This description couldn't be more opposite than what we learned last week, right? And yet um, Peter says in verse 2 that many will follow their destructive ways. It's so sad, isn't it? Many, not a few, but many will follow this description. That which is fake, false, and counterfeit is out to do only one thing, and that is to destroy. Did you know that the devil would love nothing more than to destroy your life? He will stop at nothing to accomplish this. The thief, we're told in Luke 10.10, has come only to steal and what? To destroy. Who is the thief? The devil, Satan, our enemy, the adversary. He is out to rob us, to steal whatever he can from us, and ultimately to destroy or to kill us. He doesn't have to waste time with non-believers. He's already got them. He's after us. And you know the ones he, he tries to go after to pick off? The babies. He tries to go after the babies first. I always warn people who are new in the Lord and who are excited. They've, they've come to know Jesus they're about to maybe go get baptized with water. I always warn them, all right, you're going to make this decision. It's a public proclamation of what Jesus has done in your heart. Be ready for the attack. And it has been so sad for me to see those that start good, and then the enemy just picks them, picks them off, picks them off. It's so sad. We can only hope with those that maybe started and have fallen that um, when they asked Jesus in their heart, the Holy Spirit came as well, right? And he is the one who does the, um, the wooing back unto him. So that is my prayer for those that I think of now that have fallen into that. Peter knew, though, firsthand, didn't he, what it meant by the devil coming in and trying to, as was told of him, sift him like wheat. Peter was called for by name. That he would be sifted like wheat. You know, we don't have to read far in the scriptures to read of Peter's boo-boos and blunders, do we? I mean, he made big mistakes, but he learned from them. Because we read in the scriptures, he never repeated them. We don't ever read of Peter again cutting someone's ear off, do we? We don't ever read again of Peter denying Jesus Christ. We don't ever read again about Peter walking on water. 
He learned from his mistakes. He learned how to be alert and watchful for the enemy. Exhorting us in 1 Peter 5, 8 to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That is the enemy that is after you and me. So what do we do? We do all that we know to do. We know the truth. We are in the truth. We are um, in a good Bible teaching church. We are consistent. We are serving the Lord. We are immersed with other and surrounding ourselves with other like-minded people that can encourage us and pray for us and point us to Jesus. That is what we know to do. That is how we safeguard our life. By being in the word, by being in prayer, by being in fellowship. During the time of the early church, of which Peter writes, the church was being bombarded with false teachers, and it doesn't look much different nowadays. Um, But these false teachers looked, from what everybody could tell, like real teachers. It's the magnolia plant. (laughs) It looks real until you go touch it, until you observe more closely. But as you observed more closely, you could tell that their words were similar but different. That they looked and acted slightly different. In chapter 1, we looked at the fruit of what was real, the good solid teaching. Now we look at what is fake, that unhealthy teaching. Fake can be simply defined as imitation or counterfeit. Satan is known as the great imitator. He has been hard at work since he deceived Eve in the garden. He has false Christians, a false gospel, and even, Romans tells us, a false righteousness. But God sent, back then, prophets to expose the counterfeit. And yet, People still chose that which was fake. Why? Because it was easier, comfortable, more popular. The false teachers gave the people what they wanted to hear. They preached peace and ease and prosperity. Paul tells us that the church was built upon the apostles and the prophets in the book of Ephesians, and that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the building. Since the prophets had all passed away, and Peter now writes about the fake, false teachers rather than the prophets, it's likely that the church will listen, though, to a prophet in this day. Excuse me, it's not likely today, that people will listen to a prophet. It's not likely that people will listen. If God was to have prophets, um, some have called Billy Graham a modern-day prophet. Whether he was or not, I don't know. But nevertheless, um, I wonder if God may not raise up somebody much like Billy Graham once again that people will listen to. Church is not a place to be comfortable, is it? Which of us comes into church to be comforted, I mean comfortable, I should say? We do not come here to be comfortable. We come here to be challenged. We come here to learn about the Word of God. We come here to be convicted and to be more connected with Jesus when we leave those doors than when we walked in. This, of course, is dependent upon what is taught from here, from the pulpit from our teachers. This, of course, is not, I believe, being taught like it was, like it used to in this day and age. In fact, as we continue, we will see the warning 
about the day and age in which we are living, which is likened much like the day of Noah. And we know what the Bible says about that, right? As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As we look to Noah, we will see likeness. We will see that we are there, I believe. If not there, so close to being there. Weak teaching from the pulpit produces weak sheep. False teaching produces carnal sheep. But solid, unadulterated teaching of the word of God produces healthy, strong sheep. And that's what we want to be. If you are being taught the word at your church, you should be growing. The question is, are you? Are you challenged by what you're being taught? Are you convicted? Is your desire to know more of Jesus? Is that your desire? Someone recently told me that their church, at their church, they were getting snacks. That they had to leave their church after a Sunday morning and go somewhere else to get a meal. And where they, I'm not going to tell you where they went to get the meal, but um, it was here, actually. But uh, they, they, had to, they had to watch online. So we find that people might be going to church for, let's say, fellowship purposes. But then because we have access to the Internet and technology, they will seek supplementing their diet by good meal, a good meal somewhere else. This is a sad state that our church is in, is it not? This is why James says, let not many become teachers for they shall receive a stricter judgment. Teachers, there is a severe warning for anybody who teaches the word of God. We, and I take this, seriously as well, will and do receive a stricter judgment. There's more accountability if you're a teacher of the word of God. You have to be mindful of what you do, what you wear, where you are, what you buy, what you will learn about in a moment, what you drive, where you live. There's a lot that comes with it. It's not just this, ladies. So much more comes with being a teacher of the word of God. And we take that so seriously here because we have been well taught. We've been well taught by Pastor Chuck and Kay that we are not to live above our congregation or below, but right in the middle. And we are never to seek to stumble our congregation. I'm getting way ahead of my notes, but I'm going to come back to it again. Um, But this is so near and dear to me. And something that is, I have the um, blessing and opportunity to go speak to other pastor's wives and encourage them and talk to them about leadership. This is my, almost my number one go-to. Do not stumble your flock. You have no business carrying a name brand handbag, ladies, if you're a pastor's, senior pastor's wife, I would say. Um, And we discourage that. Um, The rest of you have liberty. We do not have liberty. We, because we take it so seriously that we never would want anybody to stumble. I'm being very um, transparent with you. When I go to the grocery store, I look to see what type of bottle the balsamic vinegar is in as well as the olive oil. In fact, recently, John and I, we never grocery shop together, but we were for some reason. I think we ran in to get something. And um, I grabbed a bottle of olive oil, and John said, grab the other one. So even that, I mean, the key said, no, I want the square one, you know, not anything that's round. And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. What am I thinking, you know? So just we have to be so mindful Because wherever we go, we see somebody from the church, especially John. No matter what city he is in Orange County, somebody recognizes him. So we have to be so mindful that we take this so, so seriously. We would never, ever go out to dinner and have a bottle on our table of anything and even water, ever. Because we are so mindful of not stumbling somebody. 
This, um, of course, I was not planning on going into, but just so that you know that your pastor and his wife are so careful, but still people will point things out, but we go above and beyond because it is so important and we take James 3, 1 so seriously, so seriously. So are you being challenged where you attend church? Are you being convicted? What sort of fruit is being produced from your life by the teaching that you receive? False teachers will always bring heresy, which is nonconformity. I found that very interesting as I looked up the definition of heresy. Nonconformity. They will try and separate themselves from a group, not conforming, bringing dissension, division, and that which is against popular, God bless you, opinion. You must keep in mind that these false teachers were not innocently ignorant of the word of God. They knew the word of God, but so does Satan, right? They knew the word, but twisted it to fit their liking. Satan knows the word. He's the master twister, isn't he? He is. False teachers are better known for what they deny than what they affirm. They're better known for what they deny rather than what they affirm. We must keep in mind that these false teachers were not saved. They are compared to, in verse 22, if we get to the end, dogs and pigs, not sheep, right? They were not saved. Next, though, Peter removes more dust now by exposing that false teachers not only are deceptive and bring destruction, uh, they bring doom. Peter saw no hope for these false teachers. Their fate was sealed. They had forsaken the right way, verse 15 tells us, and were going the wrong way. In this next section, Peter reminds us that judgment does eventually come, no matter how secure a sinner may feel. Peter points to three examples for us. Fallen angels, the old world uh, where Noah was, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 4. Let's take a look. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world or the old world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed, They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a rivaling accusation against them before the Lord. Wow, so much here. But having cited these three examples, Peter then applied the lesson to the subject on hand, the false teachers. So saying in verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly, Praise God, right? Out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. It is coming. If God can keep Noah safe and Lot safe, this is the the idea here. 
if he can take care of the one-third of the fallen angels that rebelled against him, if he can take care of Noah, could you imagine? I mean, I just thought for 30 seconds and thought about it, and I couldn't even, like, imagine what it would be like. I thought about it for a very brief moment. My family, which is a family of six, and I'm about to have two daughters-in-law, so that would make eight, or I have one, I'm about to have another, but our family of eight being the only family in the entire world that walked with the Lord? Wow! How? How did they do that? Amazing. And then another example. Lot. I, you know, I mean, I, I think that Peter does a really great job of giving us a little insight into Lot. I mean, I was like, Lot did not have a backbone. Lot this, Lot that, you know, oh, Lot. But Peter calls him a righteous man. And that really, this is the thing. Noah had his family. Lot didn't have anyone, right? Lot tried to stand really against what Noah tried to stand against, but he had to stand alone. His family didn't stand with him. I mean, he was alone. And so I get it now. And I thought, all right, I'm not going to be so hard on Lot anymore. (laughs) But, I mean, we know that he, he had to try, he was crumbling under the pressure. Have you ever felt like that? That there was so much against you, so much carnality that you could not stand. You couldn't stand because you were alone. That's how Lot must have felt. I mean, praise God that the Lord does call him righteous. He tried. He did the best he could. So lest we be too hard on other people, here's the example in the scriptures of Lot, right? What a contrast, though, between the false teachers and the child of God. Here we see we have an inheritance for us. 1 Peter 1.4 says, because Jesus is preparing a place for us, a home for us in heaven. We aren't looking for judgment, are we? We're looking for Jesus. We're looking to him and for him, and our eyes are to be on him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 tells us, for God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. That is not our end, ladies. We are on our way to heaven We have a place prepared for us. And we were just reading about heaven and the new Jerusalem. We've been taught through the book of Revelation. Wow, how many of you are excited to get there? I am. And it's so neat because as John was sharing about heaven um, and about the new Jerusalem uh, and the details and the streets of gold and the gates and all the the, um, different stones that are going to be used and... um, Wow, I mean, like, that's awesome. But we get to see Jesus face to face. I'm like, forget all that. I just want to see him, right? Doesn't that just get you so excited and bring tears to your eyes that you will see Jesus face to face? I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm just like, what is that going to be like? What? Amazing. I mean, there's no word that we have in the English language to to describe it. Thank you. That's what I was going for. To describe what it's going to be like. If you're having a hard day, just think about that, ladies. You are so close. We are so close to heaven. So close to seeing Jesus face to face. I know uh, uh, the Bible says we're going to be down. <laughs> Maybe we might see his face for a moment, but it is so holy, we will be down. We will be down in his presence. I don't care. I just, I, it's going to be amazing. Uh, and again, no word can describe what it's going to be like. That is what we have to look forward to. Peter's heart, though, wasn't just to denounce these false teachers. In this, he's trying to encourage us as well. Encourage believers by reminding them that they would be delivered, 
that they have heaven to look forward to and Jesus to see, just like Noah and Lot. When things get difficult, we may pray or we may have prayed, Lord, take me now. How many of us? Like, today's a good day to come, Lord. When it gets really hard, on a good day, we're like, you can wait till tomorrow, right? But on a bad day, we're like, now would be awesome, Lord. Take me now. Today is a good day. Let's do this, right? But then I started thinking, what if Lot prayed that? What if Noah prayed that then? None of us would inherit the kingdom. We wouldn't be here, but we wouldn't have the opportunity. We must be patient for God's perfect time. We see the world getting worse. And we want Jesus to come now and snatch us up out of this carnal world. And yet Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 15, and he said this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Maybe instead of praying that the Lord would come back today and take us out of this evil world, we should be praying that he would protect us in it and use us while we have time, while we're here. The Lord kept Noah and his kids in a carnal world, much like our world for today, not for one, not for 20, not for 70, 120 years. Wow. They faithfully proclaimed the word of God day after day as the ark was being built. As I said, they were the only Christians on the planet Earth at the time, which is unfathomable. But, and yet, I think one of the commentaries I was reading pointed this out. Noah and his sons, so that was Noah and his, Mrs. Noah, and their three sons, were the only believers on the earth, and yet, God provided them wives. Have you ever thought about that? Somebody must have been converted, right? Three women were converted. And praise God they were because all of us come from them, (laughs) right? I mean, like, they were the ones that reproduced the earth. God knew that somebody needed to reproduce, and Noah and his wife were probably getting up there. So he provided three women, three converts, for 120 years of preaching the gospel. And that's all he needed. Three. Three women, mind you. Praise God, right? So that was a little factoid I found this week that I was like, I never thought about that. Wow. Three ladies were converted from that. What a blessing. It doesn't take many gals to do a mighty work of God. It just takes a few. Be faithful. Be the faithful few that are willing to stand, willing to um, go against the flow. And the flow is getting harder to stand against. But you know what? When we do stand, it is invigorating, isn't it? It's like, no, I will not bend. I will not bow. Absolutely not. It's Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, right? No, we will not bend. We will not bow. And if, they said, God delivers us, then praise God. But if he does not, I will still praise him. Amen? God didn't protect Noah and his family by isolating them from the world. He enabled them to remain pure in it. Is the world dark? Yes. Is it carnal? Yes. Does it need Jesus? Yes. Who will tell them about Jesus if we are all gone? We must tell them while it is yet day, John 9, 4 tells us. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent us. Night is coming when no one can work. Our time is short. We must be busy about our Father's business. 
We must share the gospel. Love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength while we have time. Because the time of Jesus' return is sooner today than it was yesterday. We do know that. It is soon. The church, unfortunately, is getting a weaker and weaker testimony in the world because it often looks much like the world, doesn't it? We are not called to be like the world, ladies. We are called to be set apart from the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Not only do these false teachers bring destruction and they bring doom, they also bring depravity, which means moral corruption, wickedness. Verse 12, but these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practice and they are cursed children. They are forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam. Balaam, you know what I'm trying to say here, tongue twister, the son of Beor, and loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of this prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackest of darkness forever. Wow. Peter compares these teachers to unreasoning animals whose only destiny is to be slaughtered. Animals have a life, but they live by pure instinct, right? Jesus warns us in Matthew 7, 6, saying, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under the feet and turn and tear you into pieces. These false teachers are described vividly by Peter as brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. He also describes them saying they will utterly perish in their own corruption. He said they will carouse in their own deception. They cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. Heart Their heart is trained in covetous practices. He calls them accursed children. Wells without water, clouds carried away by the storm. This is the vivid description we have. Um, Like our description wasn't enough, here he continues. Peter describes them by making um, a lot of noise, he says. They make a lot of noise about nothing. Do you know anybody who does that? (laughs) Makes a lot of noise about nothing. The Phillips translation of verse 12 says, scoffing at things outside their own experience. And the NIV reads, but these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. It's that old, that old saying, um, if you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the one who barks the loudest got hit, right? The people who make a Big, I was going to say stink, but I just did. Um, A big deal about something, uh, a ruckus, a commotion, they often are the ones that got hit. These brute beasts are destined, Peter says, for destruction. As they seek to destroy the faith, they, they themselves will be destroyed. This is our consolation, ladies. 
by these people, these false teachers that are leading many astray, that eventually, I mean, I don't know why God allows these people to remain. I mean, I scratch my head just as much as you do. And I say, Lord, take them out. Lord, why? But for some reason, the Lord allowed them back then and today to remain. They will be corrupted in their own corruption. We can be encouraged that. Destroyed in their own destruction. Their very nature, Peter says, will drag them down into destruction. Just as a pig returns to the mire and a dog returns to their own vomit. This is a description that Peter gives us. Unfortunately, many prophets do a lot of damage before this takes place before the Lord takes them out or they are destroyed in their own destruction. They, as I was alluding to earlier, enjoy luxurious living off of the church. The church supports their luxurious living. Their luxurious cars and houses and vacations. And as I said, this is not what we were taught. This is not what we know and we really uh, do the best we can to um, not stumble anybody uh, like these people do. These false teachers not only were involved in luxurious living, but they also, also were guilty, Peter tells us, of carousing, which means to drink plentiful amounts of alcohol and enjoy oneself with others in a noisy lively environment, in case you're wondering. Peter elaborates on this, saying that not only did they carouse at night, which is normal, we, we would say maybe party, partying, partying at night, they were so convinced that they were justified in this that they did it in the day, just to prove a point. You will find people who will push the envelope to prove their point, even in the church. These practices were going on in the church. Ladies, we're not talking about outside of the church, which is expected, but this was happening inside the church. I wish I could say that I haven't heard of this in the church, but I have heard of these things happening in the church. It is so grieving, is it not, that you hear of this sort of carousing in the church under the roof of the church? It's wrong. It's sad. It's grief. There's so much that's wrong about that. Instead of bringing blessings into the church, the false teachers were and are bringing what Peter describes as blemishes and spots upon the bride. They're bringing blemish upon the bride. So sad. This is why James 3, 1 says, as I already quoted, let not many become teachers, for they will receive a stricter judgment. Teaching the word of God is nothing to handle lightly. It's nothing to mess around with. Those who teach the word must be okay with this warning that it brings. Peter shares with us in verse 14 that these false teachers at, um, attend certain meetings to satisfy their own lusts and get new converts. They also keep their eyes open for women that, may be, that they may be able to entice into sin. So on the flip side, though, uh, the enemy may also use women to entice pastors that are trying to teach the word of God. So a little exhortation to us women. We need to be mindful of these things, of our actions, of our words, of our um, clothing that we wear, lest we are the ones that stumble someone else. Look for a lady maybe at church to counsel you, to pray with you. Don't go right up to the men. Don't go, I know we have men and we often have women that are available also to pray for you after the services, um, but look for a lady. Ladies, I never, you'll never see me praying with a man at church. <laughs> 
If I am, I'm with my husband or someone else. If you feel led to pray with someone else, and it happens to be a man, take someone else with you. Or as a woman, look for not one man standing up there at church, but two, maybe. Single ladies, be careful of men who appear to be over-spiritual, who try too hard and want to get too close too soon. I have heard some devastating stories of women who are have in the church who have been enticed by crafty and sly men who have um, unfortunately led them astray. Be discerning. Be women of the word and you will grow in this area of knowing what is right and wrong. Discernment is all here. This is all we need right here. We need the word. This is all we need. Verse 14 describes them, uh, these false teachers that we're speaking of, as having eyes full of adultery. And this was one that I jumped off the page to me and cannot cease from sin. They're so bound in it, they can't stop. Cannot stop sinning. Why? Because they're in bondage. They claim to be free, which is interesting, Peter points out, in their liberty, but they're not. They're in bondage. Have you ever heard a Christian maybe saying, it's my liberty, I can do that, you know? Um, And yet they use their liberty as a license to sin, and then they're caught in bondage, and then they can't get out of it, right? Right? Let's stay away from things that can possibly cause us to be in bondage to them. False teachers bring destruction, doom, depravity, and fourth and finally, they bring deception, meaning they lie. Verse 18 says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It's harder, ladies, once you go back to get out of it. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. Here it is. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow, a pig, having washed to her wallowing in the mar. So what kind of bait do these people use to catch us? Well, or to catch people, I should say, their language, first of all. It is great swelling words. It could be flattery that is used to entice somebody. Always watch out for somebody who flatters you. Too many flattering words. There's always something underneath it. When somebody comes up and flatters us, we always um, stand back and have an eye out (laughs) watching. I mean, it's okay to encourage there's difference. But then somebody that goes on and on and on and on, and you're like, hmm, something's not right about this. And sure enough, something happens. Next, first their language. Then he, he talks about, Peter talks about less, less alluring, tempting, or enchanting. We must watch out, ladies. Be mindful for somebody who comes in who tries to lure us away by lying. These lies, these temptations, these enchantings, this these words, so the language, the lust, and then he points, I don't know why they all start with L, but it worked out great, lewdness. Crude and offensive in a sexual way is lewdness. Ladies, anybody who is like this to you, steer clear. I have had, and um, I am, it's awful to have to say it, but men who are crude and offensive in sexual ways, you know how Men can look, look. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like look you up and down. It is offensive. Like it's 
it's scary. You know, it's, it reveals the heart of that man wherever they're at. And I'm talking about men in the church that do this. There's something else there when a man does that. Now, mind you, we need to be careful of how we dress, that we don't, that we're not the ones that bring that upon ourselves because we are responsible as well. But the language, the lust, the lewdness, and then another L, liberties. The liberties, promising freedom, yet giving bondage. They hook you. The bait is the liberty, lady. You have liberty in Christ to do this or that. That's the bait, to hook you, to get you into bondage. But why would we go back, ladies, to that which we were saved from? Because, as Peter says, then it is even harder to get out of it than it was when we first came to know the Lord. Right? We must be careful. Steer clear, ladies. We are not strong enough to partake of these liberties. We are weak and feeble. We are, as Paul said, we do what we don't want to do. And what we don't want to do, you know, we, you know what I mean. We, you know, we just don't do it. <laughs> what I want to do, I don't do. There we go. And what I don't want to do, I do. We just, that is us. We are weak and we are feeble and we are like Lot trying to stand on our own and we will be crumbled with the pressure. Don't put yourself in that environment, ladies. Don't place yourself in the environment that will cause you to fall because it will be harder to come back if you do. Do not partake of these liberties thinking that you're good or you've walked with the Lord long enough or it's just a sip or it's just a half a glass or whatever it is, that's all it takes to become an alcoholic. That's all it takes. I'm going to share something with you. Um, most of you know my stance on alcohol, not just for uh, me personally, but um, every Christian. I'm very, um, we have a very strong conviction about it because we see where it leads we were delivered out of it. There is no way I want to go back to it. I had two parents that were alcoholics. So I have a very strong conviction against it because I saw firsthand. And you may have as well where that leads. Um, the destruction that it leads. Praise God, my parents are saved and they love Jesus. But um, all that to say that... Um, why would you partake of something, even a little bit of it, that could cause you to stumble others, to fall? My great question for people, this is not on my notes, so maybe it's for somebody here. My great question for people that say, um, I, I partake in this liberty and I find it's fine to drink a glass of wine if I'm out to dinner. Or maybe you're like, I don't even go out and drink. I drink in the privacy of my own home. Ponder this question. Where do you go to buy it? Are you in public? Does anybody see you? Yes, right? Do you have a deliverer to your house? I mean, does that person see you? I'm just saying, like, we need to think this through, ladies. Think it through. Just take a moment. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this one out. It's easy. We need to think it through. Is it worth it in the day and age in which we live? The answer is no, it's not worth it. You know, uh, about a few years back, I was sent my registration, and I've shared this before, my registration, my car registration, like to register your car again. And in the registration comes um, a piece of paper, and it tells you, I never saw it until this year, the blood alcohol level, um, uh, if you're a male or female, your weight, your size, your height, and then how much um, in ounces alcohol it would take for you to become um, legally impaired where, where you could be arrested for a DUI. So for me, so I, I looked at it and I thought, Oh, my goodness. So I got my kids around, and I got a clear glass that was like this big, and I filled it up halfway. So for me, my weight, my height, it said four ounces. Four ounces, and I could be arrested. <gasps> wow. Yes, that's what I said. 
okay, wait, wait, four ounces, that's half of a cup, that's half of eight ounces. Wow, that is not very much. That is not even, a, I don't even know, is a, a glass, I guess, is eight ounces, correct? Anybody know that? Okay, so four ounces, whatever that is, I could be arrested. My vision could be impaired. The seriousness of it, ladies, is what I'm trying to get across to you. I don't talk about this often, so when it does come up, I'm going to share with you my heart. And this is my heart in it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. To partake for, um, you know, a little pleasure? Don't do it. We need to wake up, ladies. We need to see that the time to be ready is now. We who are well taught, know the word of God, can and will and are making a difference in the word, in the world, excuse me. If Noah and his family can do it, we can do it. Amen? We can do it. We need to be ready in season and out of season. We need to be able to share our testimony in two minutes. Can you do that? This is your challenge for next, this week until we come back. And then our leaders are going to ask you if you did that. You need to be able to share your testimony in two minutes. Two minutes is all you may have with somebody, and you need to do it. Boom, boom, boom. Practice it. It's good to be able to share in two minutes what changed your life forever. We need to be able to share the truth of the gospel, the simplicity of the truth of the gospel. Jesus came, he died, he rose, and he's coming again, and he offers you the free gift of eternal life. How long did that take? <laughs> That's quick, right? It's easy and it's quick. We need to be bold enough to be able to open our mouth and share with others the thing that so radically changed our destiny, our lives. It is not time to sit back. It is time to stand up and to be bold for him, to open our mouth, to trust the Lord, to take steps of faith that he will empower us. We cannot live in this fallen world without Jesus. And we need his power. And this is how I want to end today. If you have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you've never received the coming on of the Holy Spirit, it's simply a prayer away. All you need to do is to pray and say, Lord, I want your power. I want your boldness. You know, at Pentecost, Peter was changed, wasn't he? He denied Christ. He cut off the ear. He sunk. He did all that. But after Pentecost, what happened? 3,000 people came to know the Lord from one sermon from Peter. Something happened. Do you want that? I do. I sat on my bed after Pastor Chuck. I think I was two years in the Lord, and I didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that like baptism with water? Because I did that. Check. No. It's a second subsequent, we believe at Calvary Chapel, a second subsequent working of the Holy Spirit. And I can say, I don't care, you know, your experience may be different, but for me, that's what God did. I knew the Lord. I was baptized with water. But then when I sat on my bed and simply prayed, Jesus... I need, I want that, that Pastor Chuck talked about. I want, I want to be bold. I want to be empowered. I don't want to be afraid. I want to be able to speak out for Jesus. When I pray that simple prayer, I didn't get anything tingly happen or warm fuzzies. I didn't speak in tongues. I do, but I didn't then right away. That didn't happen to me. But I tell you what, I became bold. I wasn't afraid. I stopped. I talked to people about Jesus, and then slowly but surely, the Lord gave me more courage. Something happened in me. And I, don't, I mean, people can argue, even in the Calvary Chapel movement, they believe different things. And I would, um, I'd beg to differ. You know, sometimes it happens at conversion, but for me, and maybe for you, it happened later. I was empowered, and that same power is available to you as well. So if you want that power and have never asked for it, I want you to stand to your feet. Anybody? Anybody never been baptized with the Holy the baptism with the Holy Spirit and want the power today? We're friends. We, we just want to um, provide it for you. Anybody? Anybody want to stand? All right. Yay. All right. Ladies. Good. Good ladies.
You will be empowered and you will be bold for Jesus Christ. Maybe not overnight, but over time. Okay, you know what we do? Those ladies around you, lay hands on these ladies right now. Lay hands on them. And, and we want to pray for you. We want to end today by praying for you ladies. You can do it. You can do it. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit. So gather around these gals. This one's standing right here. Oh, she's standing, she's, she's standing from afar. Okay, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would baptize these brave girls right now, this act of bravery, standing to their feet, God, to empower them with the Holy Spirit from on high, like you empowered Peter, God. Will you fall upon these ladies today? Give them courage. Give them power. Give them the ability to say no to sin, to overcome bondage, God. I know you did that for me with an eating disorder, God, and you can do that with them as well, God. You give us the power to overcome overcome and the power of boldness to speak out, God. Give them the gifts of the Spirit as well, God. Give them words of wisdom and words of knowledge and tongues, God. Give them these abilities, God, to reach this world today. And for those of us who need a fresh filling, fall upon us now, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we need your power. We need you. We cannot do it without your power. So do so now. We trust you well in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Love you, Lord.